HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Michael Ameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my co-guests. And my guest today is Stefan Ramirez, who is the founder of Tea Specialist, uh, founder and tea specialist at tdlast.com, which he started in 2005. And Stefan is also an experienced traditional tea practitioner of uh, the Rasenke School. So today we'll talk about how Stefan got into tea and started his own tea company, how he established relationships with tea growers, his passion for tea ceremony, and much, much more. Hello, Stefan. Welcome to Japan Eats. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so um, first of all, um, please tell us your background. So I heard that you worked in the fashion industry before you got into tea. Yeah, I did. Um, uh, a lot of people ask me where I'm from. Mm. Um, so I was actually born in Colombia. Mm. Uh, I lived there until I was two, and then I moved to uh, Vienna, Austria. Wow. My mother liked to travel a lot, and so we spent uh, a good amount of time there. And I finally came to the States when I was eight years old. Mm. Um, I lived in a little town right outside of uh, Manhattan. It's called Harrison, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I went to school. Um, had a, I went to New Jersey Institute of Technology for an engineering background. So actually, before fashion... My my endeavor was actually to be in networking, <laughs> and at the age of nineteen, I actually got an engineering job, which was a lot of fun. I thought that you know technology was where I wanted to be, mm. um, but after having worked in that for about three four years, the guy next to me asked me what the net latest uh, Aces motherboard was, mm. and at that moment, that's when I realized that my life I didn't want my life to be that way. <laughs> so I made a big jump, and I decided to 
you know, quit my job, leave my apartment, uh, started living in the East Village, and then I started working in fashion. Um, mm. Funny thing is, through fashion, I was uh, I had been working there for about two, three years, and just developing my skills in sales and aesthetics and things like that. And then I, f I found this uh, tea company who needed a, a part-time salesperson. I thought it was kind of uh, amazing when I first walked in, mm. um, the way it was set up. It was almost like a laboratory, but it was totally unknown to me, like everything that I had seen. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, I, ha I applied and then um, I dove head, head first into it, like really shortly after that. Um, I had to take a tea specialist test and uh, it, they were, they threw all this information at me and I was really overwhelmed, but at the same time really stimulated and excited about mm. um, learning about this really, really deep product that I had no idea about. Wow. So it's a Japanese tea company? Was yes. It? Oh, okay. Wow. I'm curious. So which, is it, can you say the name of the company? No. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very famous one, uh, Itoen. Oh, okay. <laughs> They've been supporting us. So thank you, Itoen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, right. But uh, what was the moment that you really realized that tea has something special to you? It was actually when I started uh, studying for my first tea specialist test. Mm. Um, you know, I was kind of going through the information and like, you know, looking at the world consumption rates and the, the production rates uh, and, and how much American consumers were drinking and how, you know, lowly ranked uh, America was and the history and, like, you know, reading about the opium wars and the Boston Tea Party. Mm. Like, my mind just started to race and, and I just, like, started to realize how deep of a product I had just encountered, um, and I started to really take it in full seriousness. You know, there, there are methods of tasting, there are professional methods of, of um, rating tea, mm. and this really, really stimulated because in any direction that I decided to kind of study and further uh, develop my knowledge, it was endless. You know, it's like <laughs> it's a you know, it's like two thousand year old product, and and um, I kind of realized that. Even if I got to live 100 years old, I would never fully understand everything. And that, mm. that stimulates me. Right. The more you learn, the more you know. You don't yeah. know. <laughs> and as you get older, your, your knowledge about it changes as well. Mm. Okay. So, um, so your company, um, you started Tea Dealers. Mm -hmm. um, so what kind of motivation? And how did you start the tea company? So after uh, my two-year stint with, um, with the tea, uh, Japanese tea company, um, I had left and I wanted to actually go back, uh, go back into retail and managing retail shops. Um, I thought that that would actually be um, a skill that would be really good for my future. I didn't exactly know what was, what was going to happen. But six months into it, I got a call from one of my really, really close clients, and he said, Stefan, um, we can't get the tea uh, anymore that you used to sell, and like, I don't know, we're just missing that, that, that aspect of it. Can you still acquire it? And I said, let me, let me try to see what I can do. So it just came about really, really naturally. I called a couple of people and said, hey, guys, would you support me in this endeavor? And they said, yeah, definitely, if you want to do it. And that's how it started, just really, really naturally. It, was, it wasn't something that I wanted 
to do mm-hmm. um, and they just kind of naturally pushed me into it and so I started off privately so I just had like just you know a few customers it was uh, through referral only and mm-hmm. it allowed me to really really acquire to learn about teas specialty kinds of teas only premium um, I would you know I'd, I'd be able to travel to Japan and have clients that I was buying for so there was no risk involved mm-hmm. um, but the amount that I got to learn and um, just just it was an adventure it was it was really really amazing to be able to do that it sounds like uh, you have a good patron kind of relationship yeah. with the, your customer yeah i was very very lucky with that right okay so and you just uh, worked with individuals yeah right for a while exactly. and then but now you have much more the bigger scope of the business so what kind of business do you do now well now it's you know educating the public you know i i realized um that I, I needed to reach out to more people and um, premium tea or you know high quality tea doesn't necessarily mean it has to be crazy expensive mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with that it has to be it, it's more about who produces it and how how much effort they put into making it you know so um, yeah that, I, I wanted to just show people that part of, uh, of tea that you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money but it can but, but you should kind of um, really care about what you're drinking. Mm, right. So, um, so tea dealers, uh, which you started 2005, that's 11 years ago mm-hmm. already. So um, you have, uh, you uh, import, distribute, or how? what's the scope? Yeah, I import. Okay. Um, I, everything is abroad. Um, my black teas come from one... Uh, agent that I've known for a long time. His family owns a, uh, a tea farm uh, for a really, really long time, almost 40, 50 years. Um, the market system in India is kind of different, so there's one agent. Everything is based on uh, like a market, uh, mm. almost like um, the bidding system, okay. so that it's fair, so that everybody is, can get tea. Mm. Uh, but I trust him, and I trust the, the, the kind of farms that he works with. Um, uh, same thing in in in, in China in Japan. Um, mm. It's people who uh, I've established relationships with, or I've come in contact uh, with their product through somebody, and mm. just yeah, really natural that way. Right. So yeah, so I heard that you directly source your products. Everything yes. from premium tea producers, right? So how do you find those, how did you find those producers and uh, you know establish good relationships with it's them? A lot of legwork. <laughs> a lot of legwork. Um, it takes me months, sometimes years, to find somebody. Mm. Um, every when I start looking for someone, it's based on a taste that I'm trying to fulfill in my menu, not just a type. Mm. You know, there's a type, but then there's also what I consider to be an ideal representation of the region of uh, of the quality of product that can come from that region mm-hmm. and so that that search really takes me in really really deep and you know i'll come across maybe 25 30 sometimes 50 different samples that i have to choose from mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i have to i stop for a few months and then i continue my search um sometimes i can find someone within like three months mm-hmm. uh if they're you know if they're connected on the internet um but if they're not connected on the internet it'll take me 
sometimes three years, sometimes five years. Wow. But I don't, I don't pick, I don't fulfill that gap until I find exactly who I'm mm. looking for. So the sounds like you have a target of a region. Or kind of certain types of tea? And it's then... the taste. It's really the taste. Okay. It's kind of like the same way that I shop for my jeans. I don't buy five blue jeans. I, fi- I buy, you know, a, a dark blue jean, uh, a gray, and a black, mm-hmm. or, you know, different colors. And I don't, I don't replace them until they're, they've been worn out. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with tea. It's like there are certain um, tastes. Uh, tastes that I'm looking for that I know will really kind of um, uh, make people react in a certain way that mm. they've never reacted to and that's what makes my selections really unique mm. the, the name uh, uh, may be something that you're very familiar with but when you taste my tea it's very different from anything you've ever tasted mm, so you don't compromise there's no compromise <laughs> ever right okay so maybe you give us uh, some example like the you know, Japanese producer example so I'm working with someone in Nara who uh, his family has been producing tea for nine uh, generations, which is really amazing. Mm. Um, they are basically one of the first families that started growing tea in Uji when, you know, like a, back in with a size time. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really long time ago. Uh, about 60 years ago, they relocated to Nara deep in the mountains, um, far away from highways. There is no public transportation, mm. nothing. Um, there's a forest. They cut out a grove, and that's where they grow their teas. Um, this mm-hmm. uh, this family, and when I say family, it's really the wife drives the truck, the husband's in the factory, uh, producing every bundle that comes in. Uh, the son takes time off from college. He's in Shizuoka at the tea university. Um, so he's the next generation, which is also very uh, amazing. Mm. There's the younger sons. They get their friends involved, and everyone is there during tea production. Mm. But he only grows kabusa sencha, okay. which means that he painstakingly goes through covering the tea for 15 days. Uh, he processes only 100% yabukita, which is a single varietal. Uh, it's one of the first varietals that was um, created in Japan back in 1908. Um, and he, is, he specializes just in that. Mm. And from that product, he gets different products. You know, like the Kabusa Sencha, of course, is the top grade. But then the coarse stems and leaves becomes his Karigane or Kukicha, which mm. is a really familiar tea. Mm. But it comes from that grade. Right. He roasts the Kukicha and it becomes Hojicha, mm. another everyday tea. Right. But again, it comes from that quality of tea mm. and when I first tasted his tea yeah I tasted the, the the top line of it but then I asked can I can I taste the karigane and the karigane is like an everyday tea it's, cut, it's called the, the farmer's tea mm. and um, that's what the farmers drink the farmers don't drink the high end stuff because right, that's, that what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they want to sell that's what they want to sell but you know, like, uh, karigane is really kind of like a representative of, of a Japanese um, way of thinking. You know, it's like motanai, never wasting anything. Mm. So the stems and, and the twigs and the coarse leaves get set aside, and that gets made into another product. Mm. But in that product, the heart of that, that, that Japanese expression, you can see that he puts so much effort into making that product special too by, mm. by baking it a little bit or whatever. So right. those are the kind of people that I want to work with. Mm. So that's the whole essence of uh, sustainable and very local. Yeah. And just caring about every part of it, not just the really high-end stuff. Mm. You know, and, and that, that gives me 
leverage. So if someone can't afford the really, really high-end tea, mm-hmm. they can still enjoy a very everyday tea, and it's nothing less than than right. the best they yeah. have to offer. Actually, they're really unique, like a cookie jar. It's right. roasty and uh, I think less caffeine, too. Um, it depends. Caffeine <laughs> is a tricky situation. I don't want to. T- I don't like to talk about okay. caffeine because it, if some people are sensitive to caffeine, it's going to affect them either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say because like in the morning you have a higher caffeine, like leafy one, mm. and maybe at the end of the day you can have. Cookie, yeah. But it doesn't work like that. Exactly. Sounds like <laughs> <laughs> if it's good quality, it's going to be high in caffeine. Okay. <laughs> higher. <laughs> All right, I have to remember that. All right, so. Um, yeah, then the, you have also... Uh, oh, what kind of tea do you, do you sell, by the way? Uh, so five different countries, uh, Japan, uh, China, Taiwan, and Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly like I said before, it's just it's something that has a specific taste. Mm-hmm. I have greens, I have blacks, I have oolongs. I don't have any pu'ers yet. Uh, pu'er is kind of like my next ob- objective because it's going to take me a long time to research pu'er. Because mm. it's aged. It's it's a category all on its own. It is really really complicated. Mm. Um, But I have yeah I cover all spectrums. I and it's everything is based on a on a particular taste. So um, every I want to I want to give my customer an option to be like oh today I want to try this and today I want to try that. Like I drink I drink tea every day, Mm. so it needs to fit my mood. So one day I want just a simple hojicha, Mm. you know. So my, you know, I have hojicha. Someday I want something really refined. So I have a competition tea, mm. you know, and then um, everything in between. Right. Any, you know, it's really based on what I'm eating uh, to pair with food. Mm. Um, and, you know, if it's a rainy day, I just right. want something really easy. There's one thing about, you know, that people talk about the tea and coffee mm-hmm. together. But one thing really special about tea is you can pair perfectly with food. Yeah. It's mm. very, very food friendly. Right. So that's another thing. Like people say, drink drink coffee, caffeine, but then there's different effects. But I think... Uh, You know, coffee is a baby compared to tea. Coffee has only been around for the last 200 years. Mm. You know, that is... Tea's been around for at least 4,000 years, 2,000 years mainly. Um, But the only product that I could say really is as close to tea is wine. Mm. It's the only product that has the same age, the same sophistication in cultivation, and the same sophistication in, in processing. Mm. Um, yeah, and I make, I constantly make analogies. Like you know, it's like wine. It's like wine, and, and it actually helps people to understand the, the the depth in the realm of what tea can actually represent. Mm. Interesting. Okay, and the other aspect of the tea is, uh, and you you sell ceramics too, right? And I saw your website. It's amazing, beautiful products. So, and I think uh, you have you worked with uh, 14th generation porter uh, from Japan. Actually, three of them. Oh, really? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, two of them are actually siblings. Uh, hmm. The Nakazato family. It's uh, Taki and uh, Hanako-san. Hmm. Um, both of them, are, of course, come from a really, really well-established... They're pretty much rock stars as far as uh, ceramics uh, mm. are concerned. Everybody knows them uh, in the ceramic world. Um, I I knew of them. They were under my radar, but I thought that um, I wouldn't be able to really reach them because of how, how popular and how famous they are. Mm. Uh, but through a mutual acquaintance who had gone to school with... Uh, Hanako's uh, partner, 
I was actually uh, made the introduction. So that actually changed it for me because, you know, like the same way with my tea producers, like I, 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 I would like there to be this natural synergy, this kind of like natural relationship instead mm. of just going and be like, hey, you know, I want your product or I think you're cool, whatever. So that worked out really well. Mm. Um, and then through Hanako, I was able to reach Taki. Taki is an amazing artist. His teacups are a galaxy all on their own. Mm. Um, and then the third uh, longtime generation is uh, the late uh, Seijimon Tashiro the Fifteenth, who is from Soma. Um, I had th- that story is actually really amazing. I had met him a year from the exact day that the tsunami happened in mm. Japan. So it was actually March 11th of 2009, mm-hmm. um, and I had purchased his wares. Um, and then, unfortunately, a year later, three months after the tsunami, he had passed away. Mm. Uh, but he he really inspired me to to kind of reach out and to never underestimate my ability. He welcomed me into his showroom with his wife, and um, he worked with me, and I was able to purchase a few things. Um, mm. His cups I had purchased for um, one of my clients who raised horses. So the somayaki uh, tradition is to actually uh, draw horses, mm. uh, left-facing horses, which is uh, a very uh, omedetai um, mm. celebratory thing. Uh, but I still have uh, one of his cuses, which is a personal object of mine, and then um, I have a, a tea set. And he doesn't make tea sets normally. This mm. was something that, even when I picked it up, it was already about 20 years old. Uh, but, yeah, thanks to him, it really helped me kind of, like, uh, be a little braver in the Japanese ceramics. Mm. <laughs> wow. So that's another day, like, mm. meeting, special meeting. Hi. And so what are the criteria in choosing a great teacup? Depends on what you want to put in it, first and foremost. Mm. Um, so... You know, for an everyday cup that tends to be bigger, um, the, the, first you want to choose the size, right? And then after that, the shape. And you want to start first at the rim, the lips, uh, the, the lip. So, you, you know, depending on the thinness, the shape, um, you want to look above into it so you can see the opening, how wide it is, how narrow it is. Um, then you want to look inside at the bottom of it mm-hmm. because sometimes potters put specific swirls or designs which mm-hmm. normally are missed because you're just looking at it from the top at an angle. So you always want to look inside. And then afterwards, um, you want to look at the bottom, the kodai, the mm-hmm. foot, and where the body meets the foot at what angle. That gives you a particular shape. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I probably, I skipped this part, but probably the first thing you want to do is look at the outside and see what glaze you're attracted to mm. you know and that really that's when you start getting separated into regions right so the texture and the feeling yeah. taste maybe you know like bizen has uh very dark with like kind of reddish glazes um shiga and iga which is where i uh, just recently went to in may have this kind of glassification um where because they use wood firing they bring the heat up so high mm. that the glaze turns into glass and you actually see a ball of just bidro, a glass, like mm. cracked glass that's formed on there. Um, yeah, those are all um, traces of, of uh, wood firing. Mm. And almost all of my ceramics are wood fired. Okay. And wood firing is really, really uh, a pain. Uh, you, it takes about seven to ten days of constant firing, 
which means you have to use a lot of wood to continue firing, mm-hmm. um, and not just the same wood. You, you know, the, the better the density, the, the better quality the wood, the fi- the higher the the fire is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you need high, really, really high quality wood in order to get the fire up that high. And labor, they have to constantly watch it. And <laughs> yeah, basically, it's a, it's a ten day drinking party <laughs> because nobody wa- you, you can't walk away, and they, they you know they take turns, and it takes about about three months to fill an entire kiln. So they're basically making for three months, they're drying, and then they finally, okay, we have enough to fill it, let's fill the kiln. Mm. And even then, you you have to already know that you're probably going to lose about maybe 10 or 20% of it. Naturally, mm. some stuff is going to crack, some is going to fall. You just never know what's going to happen, but right. it takes a long time. Wow, so precious. Right. Okay, and then um, now, so you, you have a website, beautiful website, which I really like and easy to navigate. But now you have a retail store. Yes. So maybe you can tell us about that. Uh, so my retail store is located inside of a Japanese restaurant uh, called One or Eight. Uh, it's been around for about seven years, really well established, mm-hmm. kind of hidden. Um, it's you know not very well advertised or anything like that, which uh, I actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Williamsburg. Yes, it's in Williamsburg. It's on South Second and Wythe. Um, it's been there for quite some time. It's kind of like a local favorite, so a lot of the locals don't want to tell anybody about it. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of people have found out about it because the sushi chef was actually um, pretty well known. Mm-hmm. But the owner and I have known each other for a really long time. Uh, when I was working for the Japanese tea company, he was actually one of my our first wholesale accounts uh, at Bozu, mm. uh, which is a long time uh, Williamsburg uh, business, and. Um, I was a customer of theirs for a long time, and one day I saw this empty space, and the vision just came to me. And I, and I went up to him and I said, "Hey, Shinji-san, how about we work together? I build you a, a menu for your restaurant based on tea." Mm. He was kind of scared because he <laughs> he knew my prices, and he was like, "I don't. Well, okay, let's try." It. I said, "Well, if it, if anything happens, like you know, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. It's a, it, no one's going to lose out on this." And he was brave enough to do it. Um, I set up shop. Um, I started doing tea classes or tastings, very informal. Mm-hmm. And then now the restaurant has a, uh, an amazing tea selection, which I learn from every day because I can first uh, firsthand see like customers' reactions mm-hmm. to the tea that is being served. Right. But it's tailored specifically to their food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So maybe you can tell us uh, how it's tailored, like kind you of. Know, we have uh, the restaurant's really unique because it has the traditional uh, sushi restaurant, but it also has uh, we have two uh, two chefs. We have the sushi chef, and then we have the chef de cuisine, um, Hidesan, and he uh, he was trained uh, at Alain Ducasse and um, David Boulay. Mm-hmm. So he's a really really strong French background, and he uses Japanese techniques with some traditional Japanese ingredients to make these amazing dishes. So it has to be really roundabout. I can't just serve um, Japanese green tea. Mm-hmm. I serve you know some the Korean green teas, I serve black teas. Um, one of my most, there's two occasions when I'm really, really excited at the restaurant. One, when someone at the sushi counter asks me uh, what they, what I recommend to pair their sushi dinner with, and I pull out a Darjeeling. Mm. They're expecting uh, green. <laughs> but, you know, they don't really expect Darjeeling to have that depth. And then when I when they see that it matches perfectly with the soy sauce, their, their whole, like, 
what they thought about the limitation of what tea was is completely taken away. Mm. Like it brings them to a completely different level. Um, I have to think of that. Like the soy and the Darjeeling. I, I'm gonna try that definitely. Black, yeah, black tea. Like the <laughs> maltiness of, of the black tea and the maltiness of soy sauce have a really beautiful relationship. It's mm. it's they're delicious together. Right. Well, maybe should we write a book? <laughs> Pairing, seriously. And then, and then the other time I'm really um, kind of uh, surprised is when I can actually get a Japanese person to trust me about a really high selection of Japanese green tea. Mm. Japanese customers are the most difficult to kind of convince because for them, tea is not a novelty. Tea is an everyday thing, mm. you know? So they don't consider paying nine dollars for a pot of tea at a restaurant you know for them it's like it should be automatically free right but when someone takes so much care to really pick out something really special that even within japan is mm. hard to find mm. um it's great when they discover something new it's it's uh, really inspiring mm. right so i think um yeah, it's amazing. Like anything else, uh, sake, ramen, everything now being elevated to the higher level. Yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. And I heard you have a great uh, clients like 108, of course, and uh, uh, the new Rouge Tomate, Chelsea, and Akashi, which I think is a great sushi place. And you're amazing. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, okay. And uh, so I think we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Stefan's very serious tea ceremony training. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Stefan Lemretz, who is a founder and tea specialist at Tea Dealers, which is started in 2005. And Stefan is also an experienced traditional tea practitioner of the Rasenke School. So, um... You offer a staff training and education about tea for your clients. So, um, how do you find the knowledge and knowledge level and interest in tea right now? Um, I think that the interest is is really high. Um, they have some knowledge uh, because of their cultural background. So maybe 
you know, that's one of the beauties of tea is that the, the cultural, it, it's so deeply ingrained in different cultures. Um, so they've been around it. Um, but unfortunately, their exposure to it is very, very limited. Mm. And that sometimes becomes um, very difficult. Right. So how do you educate people, like the biggest challenge in training people? Um, it's just getting them comfortable with the product and, and, and showing them many different types of product. Just, just by explaining to them that, you know, black tea, green tea, um, oolong are all the same teas, mm. it helps to kind of um, start to understand uh, mm. what tea is. But just de- demystifying everything and just simplifying everything so that they're not so uh, overwhelmed by it. Like, yeah, this tea might be very, very expensive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know you you can't learn how to handle it. Mm. So just yeah, increasing the the knowledge and just making them confident about how simple tea is because it's actually a lot easier to make tea than it is to make like those crazy coffee faces. That's true. <laughs> right. And I heard that uh, you also offer uh, public presentations for schools, government, sponsored programs, museums, and other places. So it sounds like there's a demand for tea education. Yeah, and also, you know, I, I like to talk about tea through culture. Um, mm. I think that's what makes it so deep and so um, such a strong subject that it's not just a simple product. Mm. Um, and, and, and through that... Um, avenue, I can kind of really uh, venture off into a lot of different subjects to just keep the, the, the listener um, interested, you know, whether it's food, whether it's wine, mm. uh, historically, this historical importance in tea. Um, so there's a lot, of to- a lot to talk about. And I like to really kind of like venture out outside of just restaurants, mm. you know, because that's where you can get people to kind of really focus. Right. So it's beyond uh, the taste, it's the stories that you are talking about. Uh, I mean, uh, stories are nice, but I think there's, I mean, there's, it's fact. You know, there's mm. a lot of things that people just don't, and sometimes they don't even realize it. So I like to really kind of like make them aware of mm. where, where it stands. Right. Okay. And uh, also, this is uh, interesting. I heard that uh, you practice traditional tea ceremonies, as I said earlier. So when and why did you start your practice? So I started... Uh, tea ceremony uh, with Urasenke right after I stopped working um, at the tea shop. Uh, I wanted to keep tea close to me because mm. I had no, like I said before, I didn't have any intention to actually continue a tea company or anything like that. So I wanted to keep it close to me. Um, and at the time, uh, the, there was a teacher there at Urasenke uh, uh, who was really, really well respected and um, he allowed me in. I kind of skipped a two-year waiting list. And, um, yeah, I started to practice there. It's at 69th and Lexington. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Urasenka, New York. Uh, it is, it's been, it was built in the early 70s, uh, and it's in Rothko's old uh, artist studio. So it's like mm-hmm. a 18th-century uh, carriage house. It's absolutely beautiful. It's probably the most complete... Um, tea dojo or tea uh, like chashitsu in the mm, world um, okay. they actually uh, flew in three buildings and uh, made them 
put uh, rebuilt them by hand mm. uh, inside of that. Most of the, the the people who worked on that building are no longer even alive anymore. Wow. Uh, but it is it's gorgeous. I, they offer um, like an, to the public like a, a simple tea tasting um, once a month. So mm. you go in. I think you pay like fifteen twenty dollars, and you can be in the room. And then uh, to one of the teachers and one student will actually make traditional tea ceremony for you, really simple, mm. and you can learn a little bit about it. But um, yeah, you can, and if you if you are interested in learning about uh, China Yu and, and uh, tea ceremony, um, you could ask them questions right there and then. Mm, okay, so then um, so that was, uh, but you you went there regularly, like a weekly basis, or something? Yeah, serious? it's 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 not cheap. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and it's also it takes quite a bit of a dedication and. Most people don't think about it, but it's, uh, there's actually a lot of physical aspect to it. So because you have to sit on your knees in a seiza style or cross-legged, um, it can be very difficult. So for people who have knee problems, it may not be the easiest thing to do. Mm. Um, so I kind of really try to warn people about that. Um, you know, I recently had a knee injury, so it kind of like put me out of business for a little bit as far as uh, in the tea room. Mm. But... Yeah, it's 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 strenuous. Mm. Um, I recently actually uh, I was talking to a yoga teacher and she asked me what I did, um, you know, for a regular basis. And I told her about my tea ceremony. She actually uh, likened it to a practice. Mm. And when I started to think about it, and I I realized that that's exactly what it is. It's it's not just you know drinking tea. It's not just meditation. It's it's really putting these certain ideals. Um, into practice on an everyday basis through mm. everything that I do. Um, and it takes a, a certain amount of dedication and a certain amount of uh, strength to be able to do it on a mm. regular basis. So, but because it's, it's, it's said by the yoga teacher, practice means breathing to mental to something physical too. Practice is, is, is deep. A practice is everything that you learn to put it into direct um into direct use in your everyday life mm. it's not just a, like what you do in the room mm. is just that's the practicing that's just going through the steps but then applying that into your everyday life mm. that's when it takes on life ah, okay so in a way it's life-changing yeah it is it's it, it, if that's why i said you should it, it needs to be taken seriously because if not you won't you won't take it like you won't really want to do it very long mm. right my uh, former guest uh, is on episode 51 Keiko Kitazawa coach she is uh, uh, actually Omote Senke uh, oh, nice. sensei but uh, she said uh, 10 things that changed by uh, tea ceremony I was on the episode but uh, it's amazing it's, it's really a um, conversion of something in your mind and it's lifelong mm. it's re it is really really lifelong uh, the, the, one of the most amazing aspects of it is that you, it changes as you get older because mm -hmm. obviously uh, your your body can't do certain things and um, you know your mind works different ways so your practice and, and the tea ceremony actually changes with you as well mm, interesting so deep, Very deep. <laughs> <laughs> right and uh, to make it even deeper you went to uh, Kyoto yes right on sabbatical and you can maybe tell us about that yeah, so there's this program that's been established since the early 70s. Um, it's called Midorikai, and it basically uh, it's for tea students who already have been studying tea and are 
can be referred by their teacher to study at the 400-year-old um, complex mm-hmm. um, and study directly with the teachers there. Right. Uh, so you have to be uh, outside Japan. Yes, right? you have to be outside of Japan. Mm-hmm. It's for foreigners. It's, it's uh, bilingual, so you don't need to speak Japanese. And um, uh, it's, it's very, very intensive. You're there for a year. Your Monday through Friday is completely planned out. In the mornings, you receive lectures about the history. Uh, what do you mean to start? Like, uh, what time do you start in the morning? Uh, I start around like 8.30 in the morning. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And, yeah, lectures. And we have lunch. And then right after lunch, we go into the chashitsu, the tea room. And then we have uh, okeiko, or uh, tea practice, for about mm-hmm. three hours, which is kneeling most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then after that, we have chores. And then you have to be in the dorm room by 9.45 every single day right. and so, the next day you have to kind of start all over again <laughs> no nightlife no no nightlife no i mean there's very little time for anything so mm. like that's why i try to discourage people like it's it's not an opportunity to go and like oh yeah so I'll, i can go to you know uh to other parts of japan and this and that it doesn't really allow very much time for that mm. so in a way it's like a monk Yes. Of, yeah, it's a part-time uh, monk uh, situation. Mm, so what did you learn from the sabbatical? Dedication and what it takes to actually be able to do that on a regular basis. And um, uh, not only that, but also seeing the people behind it, uh, what it takes to make this tea organization and tea. And, you know, because they work with so many people, they work with... Uh, the flower people for flower arrangement. They work with potters. They work with people who make incense, the people who make the sweets, the people who make... So seeing all those people um, and seeing how everything works together almost as a system, Mm. um, it made me realize that because I work with potters and because I work with tea people, I have a level of responsibility in representing them. I'm almost Mm. like an ambassador. So it's... It, it showed me how much responsibility I, I, I have. Mm. And um, it makes th- that's why I'm so serious, but at the same time so passionate about it. It's because you know, everybody that I meet and everything that I bring here has a lot of meaning to me. Mm. And it's, it's my, my, my focus to kind of really represent them. Right. So you learned the mission through tea ceremony yeah. in a way. Right. That's amazing. Okay. And. Uh, so, um, that's, uh, it's a little different uh, subject, but I heard uh, you said you offer free tea classes at uh, 108. Yes. Right. Uh, on Sunday evenings and, and Tuesday evenings, um, I have uh, tea tastings. They're more informal. I think classes is too formal. Uh, you can come in any time from, uh, you know, you can sit as long as you'd like. You can have as much tea as you can take. Um, You can stay for the whole thing if you'd like. Uh, To find out about them, you can go at the bottom of our website. There's a a, a, you can subscribe to our newsletter, and then also you follow us on Instagram. And um, every week I change it up. I make it really, really uh, for New Yorkers' lifestyle. So you can pick and choose exactly what you want to come into. If you can't make it one day, there's another day. Mm. Um, But. Yeah, you know, I'm doing a lot of exciting things, working with different people, just making it as as interesting as possible. Mm. So, so far, uh, what kind of people come to your classes? It's really wide. Um, I mean, I get a range from 20 to 60. You know, I get 20-year-olds who um, don't know anything about alcohol. They don't drink. 
but they like tea mm-hmm. and they want to know more about tea. Um, then I have, you know, hardworking professionals who uh, want an alternative. Um, and then I have just uh, tea geeks mm-hmm. who just <laughs> want to know what I'm carrying and how it's different from everything else. And I have a lot of wine people, like oh, sommeliers and, and producers. Again, because, you know, wine and tea have the closest relationship to each other. So they're able to understand a lot of the things that I'm, that I'm uh, throwing out there. Mm, wow. Um, but, you know, when you started your business 11 years ago, that was not uh, the time. Like, tea just started to be more getting attention. Yeah. Right? So, obviously, according to the demographics of your clients and, the, you know, people come to your classes, it's, it's changing. It is. Um, I think probably in the next 10 years, what we're going to see is uh, there's going to be a lot more green tea in the market. Um, right now, you know, we're still predominantly black tea. Mm. Um, but I think that there's going to be a huge increase. Uh, and green tea isn't just, you know, it's matcha, it's uh, uh, the oolongs and a lot of those things. So they're all kind of like to get uh, put together into the same group. But yeah, I think in the next 10 years, people are going to be drinking a lot more green tea mm. than black. Right. And well, people say it's healthier too. They're all healthy, you know. Yeah. They all have a different, um, a, a, a different benefit. That's the amazing thing about the plant. As as it changes, the chemical com- the composition changes, and mm. it gives you something different. Mm. There's no there's no such thing as bad tea. <laughs> <laughs> as far as it's well made with exactly. love. Yes. Right. So, okay. So, what's your plan for for the next? Um, I want to continue to working uh, to doing bigger uh, collaborations with people. I mean, that's what I've been doing recently mm-hmm. um, outside of the restaurant world, you know, uh, with spas and, and holistic centers mm-hmm. um, and just being able to reach out to as many people as possible and making them aware that, you know, this product is here. Um, you know, we are a, a great gateway to, uh, to the start of things, um, mm. to, to, to learn more about tea and to go deeper into tea. Um, but I'm, I'm really inspired by the collaborations that I've been doing recently. Like one of them is uh, this local spa called Lanshin. Um, mm. And we've just written, uh, written up on Vogue.com, which we never intended it to be that way. But again, it's because of the, the natural synergy that is there and the, just um, doing something passionate and working together. And um, yeah, the uh, bigger, stronger collaborations. Mm, sounds like a tea is a part of a lifestyle. It is. Yes, exactly. Right. Mm, okay. Great. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Stefan. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. So listeners, if you'd like to know more about Stefan's activities, please visit tdealers.com. That is t-dealers.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, uh, with suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes and Stitcher podcasts. And uh, please go to iTunes and Stitchers and the write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Today's show was made possible by Corin and our engineer is David Tadasuyore. I'll thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, 
or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.